want to invite you to turn to the Apostle Paul's letter to the Romans. <clears throat> and we're going to be giving our attention this morning to the better part of chapter 16. There is an old Christian tradition of painting the doors of the church red. And the purpose of that tradition, painting the church doors red, was to serve as a visual reminder that people symbolically walk from one social environment into the church through the blood of Christ and into a different social environment. That red door communicated the message that the gospel received, believed, trusted, generates not simply a new community, but an entirely different kind of community. And that's our conviction. Gospel doctrine always builds a gospel culture. Or to say it another way, when, when gospel doctrine and culture converge, something happens that only God can do. The gospel functions. The gospel gets things done. The gospel causes things to happen. And the Apostle Paul, in his closing greetings to the members of the church in Rome, opens a window, or I guess a door, as it were, uh, onto the remarkable and attractive social environment, this, this kind of a culture that is generated through the proclamation of the gospel, the preaching and the teaching of the gospel, the singing and the praying of the gospel, the faithful witness of the gospel, and the application of the gospel of Lord Jesus, who is the Christ. And so I want to invite you, if you're able, please stand. This is an expression of our high regard for God's word. And please pay careful attention as I read Romans chapter 16. I'm going to begin in verse 1, read through verse 16, then I'm going to skip over to verses 21 through 23. Paul writes this. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Sencrie, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever way she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Epinetus, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. <laughs> Greet Mary who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Genea, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. 
They're well known to the apostles. And they were in Christ before me. Greet Empliatus, my beloved, in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ. And my beloved Stachus. Greet Apellus, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphena and Tryphosa. Greet Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord. Also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Patrobas, Hermas, and the brothers who are with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. And then down to verse 21. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. So do Lucius and Jason and Sosipater, my kinsmen. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Now, let's quickly have a real pause here. Tertius is not the author of the letter. He's the, the secretary, the, the, the one who Paul dictated the letter to. Gaius, who is host to me and to the whole church greets you, Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Quartus greet you. This text, <laughs> uh, with its record of names, this text too is God's eternal and living and profitable and holy and authoritative word. Let's pray together. Thank you, O oh God. Thank you for stirring and moving in the hearts of people who proclaim the gospel of the Lord Jesus. Thank you for those who, in particular, have proclaimed the gospel of the Lord Jesus faithfully, persistently, patiently to us. Thank you for your, your grace that... Uh, you say to darkened hearts and minds and souls, let light shine there. See the glory of God in Jesus. And you bring about life. And you engender trust and faith and desire and crying out to you. And you work a great miracle in building a people into your name. We marvel at the fruit of gospel ministry. We marvel at the fruit because it's right here in this room. Glory to God. 
glory to God for what you've done. And now, Lord, as we give our attention to your word, uh, may you impart to us through the Holy Spirit hearts that would treasure Jesus more, delight in Jesus more, love Jesus more, so that we would proclaim Christ in our city as it has been faithfully and effectually proclaimed to us. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, we have a saying here at Emmaus Road Church. Hopefully, hopefully you've heard it at some point or another along the way. That gospel doctrine plus safety plus time equals a gospel culture. Gospel doctrine plus Safety plus time engenders, produces, builds a gospel culture. We believe that the gospel, that, that is the good news of God's saving activity in Christ Jesus, is not simply the starting point of the, the Christian life, the starting point from which we kind of move on quickly to more practical and relevant matters. No, the gospel, that is gospel doctrine, is what we entrust ourselves to and apply to every part of our lives every day. And safety, safety, I guess putting it most simply means there's no finger pointing. There's respect and care. If God is patient with us and God is a refuge to us, then others should experience God that way among us. We're a complicated people, are we not? We need time, we need space, we need room to kind of think things through and process and it takes time to, to grow and to morph along the way. And uh, the, the, the first problem to deal with in proclaiming the gospel is not proving that others are wrong. The first thing is to win them to Christ. And so our one another's, they, they don't include things like corner one another or run one another's lives or embarrass one another or mock one another or even sanctify one another. When, when was the last time you heard someone say to you, I love you, but... And then walked away feeling encouraged and energized? Probably not so much. Gospel doctrine plus safety plus time builds a gospel culture. And that, in a nutshell, I believe, is Romans chapters 1 through 15. Chapters 1 through 11 lay the foundation of gospel doctrine. Romans 12 through the first half of chapter 15 define this relational kind of a context and tone where transformation can happen. Chapter 15, the second half, sets forward this necessity of gospel proclamation. And then we come to chapter 16. And oh, it is so much more than a mere church directory. This is not just some roster. Romans 16, 1 through 16 and 
21 to 23, is the extraordinary display of the astonishing and glorious fruit of gospel ministry. This text serves as a picture of the gospel culture that emerges from gospel doctrine plus safety plus time. It is a picture of the gospel fruit of gospel doctrine proclaimed and functioning in people's lives. Gospel doctrine applied generates gospel culture, and that gospel culture includes gospel relationships, gospel community, gospel partnership, and what I would just describe as gospel virtues. That's my outline. So the first fruit of gospel ministry and mission is gospel relationships. The first thing that you notice, I mean, it's hard to avoid, right, in Romans 16 is the names. Paul refers to 27 different individuals in verses 1 through 16, and then eight more in verses 21 to 23. I'm not going to go through them again. I was faking the pronunciation about half of them the first time around. So these are names of real people that Paul knows. He knows them. And these are the names of people who know Paul. They're not people that he just knows about. They're people with whom, in whom Paul has been in relationship. They're, these are personal connections, which is rather astonishing in and of itself since most commentators agree that Paul wrote the letter to the Romans from the city of Corinth, and he wrote the letter from Corinth during his third missionary journey. He'd not been to Rome yet. And so here's Paul. He's located over here at the writing of this letter in the city of Corinth. And everybody that he mentions in the letter by name is in Rome. Everyone he mentions is in Rome. And, and, and that is part of the wonder and the glory of gospel relationships. Because of the gospel. Because we believe the gospel. Because we trust the gospel. Because we apply the gospel to each and every category of our lives. We eventually find ourselves connected in profound and meaningful ways with other gospel-believing, gospel-trusting, gospel-living people. And... Over time, the sphere of these gospel relationships extend, reach into real relationships with real people with names all over the country, all over the world. And I emphasize that this is what the gospel does. You see, these are not simply acquaintances or relationships. They are spiritual relationships. You see, it's not only the names that stand out in these verses. It's also this little phrase. Do you see it? In the Lord. In Christ. In Christ Jesus. That little phrase occurs 11 times. Welcome Phoebe in 
the Lord. My fellow workers in Christ Jesus. They were in Christ before me. He is my beloved in the Lord. Greet those workers in the Lord. You see that? In Christ. In Christ Jesus. That little word in is utterly important. That in is what makes all the difference. That in is what transforms relationships into a spiritual union, a bond, not only with Christ Jesus, but it is what changes relationships, what generates relationships that are created in Christ Jesus, in union with Christ Jesus. They're gospel-powered relationships. Jerry Bridges writes, Biblical fellowship is, first of all, the sharing of a common life in Christ. Not just a common belief, not just common convictions, but an actual life. Those who turn and trust Christ do so because they have been made alive. They've been raised from spiritual death And they are now in union with Christ. A very real union. We are in Christ. Christ is in us. And when we come across others in whom is the living Christ, this common life, this spiritual relationship we share is because we're joined to Jesus. We're joined together in Christ by the Spirit of Christ. Through faith in Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul writes, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body jews or greeks slaves or free and all were made to drink of one spirit this is an experiential thing we have a shared experience of the life of jesus in us and it establishes unique relationships And therefore, the basis for gospel relationships is the gospel of new life in Jesus, joined to Jesus, in union with Jesus. And where the gospel is received and believed and trusted, one of of the most magnificent fruits is gospel relationships. Oh, but it's much more than gospel relationships. The fruit of gospel ministry and mission is, second, gospel community. What I just read in 1 Corinthians 12 regarding Jews, Greeks, slaves, free, it is all on display in Romans chapter 16, live and in living color, as they used to say when TVs started to be in color. (laughs) Paul began his letter to the Romans in 116 like this. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to 
everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. And then, fast forward all the way to the end of this letter, Romans 16, 1 through 16, he gives an accounting of what that gospel power has done. The litany of names represents the, the entire spectrum of people and peoples who have been joined to Christ and therefore joined to one another. We know, for instance, that Prisca or Priscilla and Aquila are Jews. In fact, is anyone that Paul refers to in this text as kinsmen? That's what that means, kinsmen, my kinsmen. That's Jews. So, Andronicus, Genea, Herodian, Lucius, Jason, Sosipater, they're all Jews. The gospel is the power of God for the salvation of Jews. Praise God. But the gospel is also the power of God for the salvation of Gentiles. You see, loved ones, the entire rest of the list, they're all Gentiles. And further, the gospel is the power of God for salvation of the wealthy and the influential. And the power of God for slaves and former slaves and those who have been disadvantaged. According to chap, uh, chapter 16, verse 2, Phoebe had been a patron of many, including Paul. A patron is somebody who's got resources. And they utilize those resources for the well-being of others. So Phoebe was a woman of significant means. And out of her own significant resources, she helped, she comforted, she cared, she served. She's a servant of the church. She served a lot of people, including Paul. Verse 11 refers to those in the Lord, those in the Lord, those who are joined to Christ, they're Christians, who belong to the family of Narcissus. Family of Narcissus was well known in Rome. They were, they were the rich and the famous and the powerful and people of political influence. And there were some from that high-powered family, that household of Narcissus, as well as from the aristocratic family of Aristobulus, who had experienced the power of the gospel. And they were now in the Lord. But the gospel is not only the power of God to save the bold and the beautiful and the, the well-placed, it is also the power of God to save the marginalized. And there are Ampliatus, Urbanus, Hermes, Philologus, and Julia. Those are all common names for slaves. And the presence of these slaves, probably former slaves, it is a display of the power of God to join together Jews and Gentiles, rich and poor, circumcised and the uncircumcision, slave and free, the, 
the upward and privileged and the lower and the disadvantaged. All together into one vibrant spiritual community. Perhaps one of the more striking features in this list is that it includes both men and women. Nine of the individuals that Paul extends greetings to, nine of the individuals with whom he has a personal knowledge and relationship, are women. Prisca, Priscilla, verse 3, Mary, verse 6, Junia, this is a feminine title, verse 7, Tryphena and Tryphosa and Persis, all women, verse 12, Rufus's mother, verse 13, Julia and Nereus's sister, verse 15. And that is, again, not to mention Phoebe, whom Paul refers to as our sister. So to step into, to, to step from a social environment where women and were commonly marginalized through the red door of the blood of Christ into the church was to step into an entirely different social environment. And though God's created order strictly defines unique roles for men and for women, there's no distinction when it comes to respect and worth and knowledge, and value, and trust, and edification of the church. Here's another one. And I think, though certainly we, you know, male and female issues are a big deal in our cultural moment. It's interesting, in my role as a uh, I, I coach pastors and church planters uh, across the country. W one of the most significant relational social chasms among pastors is between young and old. Churches tend to be old or young. But right here in Paul's list of gospel relationships, on the one hand, is his most prized ministry partner, Timothy, in verse 21, who is old enough to be his son. And on the other hand, his kinsmen, his fellow prisoners, sufferers, Andronicus and Jania, this, this couple whom, according to Paul in verse 7, they were in Christ before me. <laughs> and here's a couple who'd been Christians longer than Paul since they were most likely older than Paul. And here they are in this gracious, Christ-honoring communion with young Timothy. Loved ones, I just, I know this is God's doing in the last year. We, we didn't strategize for this in any way. But one of the glories to me of Emmaus Road Church is the number of multi-generational families there are. Last year, last year, I think it was last summer, our, our missional community organized a gathering for families in our group 
with three generations in our church. <laughs> there's, you know, there's grandparents, parents, grandchildren. There were 60 of us in the same spiritual community, a glorious display of, of what the kind, what kind of community the gospel creates. Here's a third fruit of gospel ministry and proclamation and mission, and that's gospel partnership. <clears throat> Certainly gospel partnership is part of the, the means by which the gospel is proclaimed, but it's also one of the fruits. Another word or phrase that you, you just see repeated again and again in this text is the word work or worker. He's, he's not just talking about any kind of work, you know, most everybody works, some, some even work hard, shocking as that may be. But the gospel work, gospel work is different. It is more than just working hard, getting the job done for the cause of Christ. It is working hard by the power, the empowering presence of the life of Jesus within. It is Christ at work in us and through his people, generating gospel fruit. Look at verse 9. Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ. Verse 12, greet those workers in the Lord just not just, they're not just Christian workers. Those, those are workers that are working by the power of the life of Jesus in them. Tryphena, Trophosis, Greek Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. You know, there's work, there's hard work, and then there's work that is a result of the life of Jesus in us. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 10, Paul writes, I worked harder than any of them. Disclaimer, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is in me. Again, that word grace, you know, we tend to misconstrue it as being, you know, grace. We're just nice folk. He's not talking about, you know, I worked nice, friendly, you know, gentle, Merciful. No, he's taught about a power. This is power at work. This is God in me. The life of Jesus in me. And again, the point is that it is the gospel. It is our union with Christ that generates gospel work and gospel fruit. And when Christ is in us, generating gospel work in and through a gospel community, we enjoy the miraculous fruit of gospel partnership. You know, folks have asked me, over the last week or so, if I felt like what, um, what Todd and our friend Dave Quilla and Joshua Chambers, what we were able to do um, during our, our week in Amman, Jordan, what, was, it worth, was it worth all the hassle you went through? Yeah, I think I, I mentioned it. Took, I, I, th I think I set a record for how long it takes in the modern era to get from Sioux Falls to Amman, Georgia. It took me five days. Um, might as well have taken a boat. Um, <clears throat> was it worth it? Well, 
only time will tell. But I can say that as we plunged ourselves into the glories of the gospel as expressed by Paul in the letter to the Ephesians, and as we did this together with men of a completely different culture, you know, seven out of ten who didn't speak more than maybe one word of English the whole week, we, we thought about these things together out loud through an interpreter. We thought about the gospel implications of, of for our marriages. We thought about out loud about the gospel implications for our parenting. We thought about the gospel implications for our, our pastoral leadership and our preaching and our spreading gospel doctrine to unreached villages of a predominantly Muslim nation. I, I can say that as we were doing that, we were all marveling at what was going on. There is a profound and peculiar joy that I feel today when I send an email with greetings to Ferris and John and Asif and Salamat and Antosh and Javed and Kasim and Shafiq and Arthur and Majid, who I know, I know that they work unbelievably hard in the Lord. There's no other explanation for it. And there is profound and peculiar joy this morning, I feel, when I send off a brief text to, to six other men who I know are working now, preaching now in the six other churches in our region. And there is a profound affection and appreciation, I feel, for 17, soon to be 19 other missional community leadership couples who are working hard for you and your faith in the Lord. It is astonishing. It is glorious fruit. Praiseworthy. Here's a fourth fruit of gospel ministry and mission. And that's what I would just described broadly as gospel virtue because there are several virtues that are produced by the power of the gospel. I think this is perhaps the most attractive gospel fruit of all. Yeah, I mean, if you want to know if the gospel of Jesus, that is the life of the risen Christ, is actually getting something done among us, if it's actually functioning, is it really working? in the lives of people who comprise a gospel community, then, then you can look and see gospel virtues such as, let's start with servanthood. Romans 16.1 I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Sencrea. What a marvelous reputation. Help her. What does that mean? Doesn't it mean serve her? <laughs> She's a servant of the church in Sancrea. So you 
Church in Rome, serve her, help her, meet her needs, whatever she needs from you, for she has been a patron of many and myself as well. It's commonly understood that Paul's commendation of Phoebe and his request that the church in Rome help her is based on the fact that she was the courier who personally delivered this letter to Rome. Think about that. This woman of means, this woman of privilege, this patron of so many, she's the one who is appointed by the church in Sancria, which was a city very near to Corinth, to take Paul's letter that he had written from Corinth and to deliver it to Rome. That's how much she was trusted. That's how much she was esteemed. That's the kind of servant she was. She she has stewarded her resources for the sake of the spread of the gospel and for the sake of the support and care and provision and comfort of Paul and many others. Wow! And Paul reserves the highest regard for this woman who serves, the word deaconess. And he reserves this highest regard for her because in serving, she demonstrates gospel greatness. Jesus said, whoever would be great among you must be your, what? Servant. Mark 10, 45, Jesus said, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. Phoebe was a patron. She cared. She comforted. She met the needs of many, including Paul. By the power of the union, she experienced with the life of the one who came not to be served, but to serve and to spend his life and his resources, his everything for the eternal well-being of others. Servanthood is a profound gospel virtue. And so is the virtue of gratitude. Gratitude. In referring to his lifelong ministry partners, Paul writes in verses 3 and 4, Greet Prisca, Quilla, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks. Gratitude. What? What a picture of grace. What an impulse and demonstration of the kindness of God. How did we come to experience God in His mercy? How did we come to experience His forgiveness? How did we, become, how did we come to be His children? We were marveling at this the, the other day in our discipleship huddle. How, how did we get here? How did we come to be recipients of redemption and eternal inheritance, lavish riches of Christ? I'll tell you how we came to. Ephesians 1.4 says, God chose us in Christ Jesus before the foundation of the world, before Genesis 1, before anything, before we did a thing, before we were even a th- thought 
Nothing is more astonishing and more humbling and more gratitude producing than that. In Romans 16, 13, Paul makes a unique observation. It's interesting. He, he writes, greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord. <laughs> I mean, is it based on Ephesians 1, 4, I mean, couldn't that be said of everybody on this list? They're all chosen of the Lord. We're all chosen in the Lord. So why Rufus? He's the only one. He identifies that way. Rufus, many believe, and this is based on Mark 15, 21, was the son of Simon of Cyrene. And those of you familiar with the text know that Simon of Cyrene was the one who carried Jesus' cross to Golgotha. And Rufus, there's a Rufus referred to in Mark 15, 21, and many think this is the same Rufus. Could it be that Rufus displayed such unusual humility and kindness on account of how profoundly affected he was by God's the doctrine, the gospel doctrine of God's sovereign and saving grace. He's chosen in the Lord. He gets it. He's, he, he's, he's not one of these early onset Calvinists that's all puffed up and arrogant. He is a, he is a gentle man, affected by what God has done. Servanthood, gratitude, humility. What about the gospel virtue of generosity? Again, Priscilla and Aquila, they're, they're standouts here. Certainly the ultimate gospel power, the sacrifice one would make is the offering of one's own life. And in verse 4, Paul says that this married couple, they, they risk their necks for my life. And if that wasn't enough, they offered their home as a meeting place for the church. Greet also the church in their house. Same as said in verse 23 of Gaius. Gaius who is host to me. And host to the whole church. Anyone here who has hosted a missional community gathering, you know. It costs something, right? <laughs> Takes some time, get ready. You got to, well, maybe in some homes they clean beforehand. Um, Maybe not all, but um, they've got to buy some food. Sometimes that requires some preparation, cooking, organizing, and afterwards some more cleaning. Every reference, every reference in this passage to hard work for the sake of the gospel is an expression of this gospel virtue of sacrificial generosity. And then perhaps the most pervasive gospel virtue manifest in this passage without using the word is, is that virtue of encouragement. Encouragement. Is that not the effect of knowing that you're known? Isn't that the effect of Somebody calling you by name? Isn't that a, the effect of honor, recognition? 
Every time Paul greets somebody by name, it's, it just, it edifies. Of course, we all know that there can be an unhealthy craving for approval and recognition and acceptance. It can be a sinful desire driven by a need that only God can satisfy fully. But, and I wonder if that's what Paul is referring to in verse 10 when he says, Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. You, it's interesting in some of these cases where he only uses that reference in relationship to one individual. Uh, apparently, Apelles was so content with Christ's approval over the approval and acceptance of people that his character and his disposition was marked with a distinct... We use the term self-differentiating freedom. He didn't need other people patting him on the back all the time. His life was not controlled by this anxiety of needing approval. Not wanting to make waves because it would freak everybody out, make everybody upset. No, Christ's approval was enough. And loved ones, such are the virtues that are produced among a gospel-centered people. And so according to the grace... I'm going to close with this. According to the grace of our Lord Jesus that is with you and at work in you, empowering you, I exhort you, greet one another. Greet each other by name. It is so powerful. Such a little thing, seemingly. Greet each other by name. Welcome one another. Get to know one another and let yourself be known by others. That requires some humility and some letting down of one's guard. Get to know each other so that you know the needs of others and so that they know that your needs so that you might serve one another. You can't serve one another without knowing one another. And express your gratitude for one another. The, the, the ultimate proof, loved ones, the ultimate proof, the ultimate apologetic for the gospel of Jesus Christ is a beautiful gospel-affected people doing life together in gospel community through gospel partnership, bearing the fruit of gospel virtue. That preaches. God bless you. Let's pray. Lord, all these things that we see uh, manifest in, in the lives of these people that Paul recognizes, it, it's just, it's, it is uh, the fruit of what you've done. It, it's the evidence that you've been at work. 
And that's what we long for, for Emmaus Road Church and its people. Not just, not just another church in town, not just another brand, but Lord, a distinctly gospel-centric people where, where gospel doctrine is creating, building, establishing, revealing an entirely different social environment. Thank you for what we have tasted and seen of that in our short history. And we ask that you would continue to do more so that disciples would be made and multiplied and that there would be a profound proclamation of this glorious Christ and this glorious salvation in our city so that people would have multiple opportunities to hear it and respond to it and that it would make a difference. It would change, it would change a city and it would extend to the nations and to the peoples of the world so that Jesus Christ is exalted and praised. God, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.